Good evening and welcome to Pigeon Post. My name is Michael and I wanted to continue talking about um, unity amongst Christians. And I wanted to start by reading Ephesians 1, or excuse me, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to walk worthily of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and humility, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, being eager to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in us all. So that is Paul in Ephesians. And let's talk about that unity that he's talking about. So last time I tried to share, um, well, I shared a couple things. I think one thing stands out I don't always remember <laughs> exactly what I said the previous time. But one thing stands out. I shared a story about a Mormon who was involved in a Christian group that I was involved in and how that ended up in a visible disunity. And, um, and that's essentially a good thing, right? Because as Paul says, there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God. And Mormons don't believe that, as we discussed last time. Um, by the way, I, I just want to take a moment. I usually say this at the end, but I do want this to be a discussion. So if you have a minute to shoot me an email at pigeonpost2019 at gmail.com, I would absolutely love to have some interaction um, with your thoughts, whether they be in agreement or not, right? Um, so let's talk a little bit about unity and and how how much doctrine plays into that. So it's my argument that we can't have unity with Mormons or Muslims or anyone else that doesn't have the same doctrine of God because as Paul says we're united by the Holy Spirit so if someone doesn't have um, the same view of the Holy Spirit or the same view of Jesus or the same view of the Father then how can we have unity with that person um, because the unity is a unity that is of the Spirit if you take a look at John 17, Jesus prays for this unity. He prays that we would all be one, even as he and the Father are one. So it's my understanding that there's a real objective spiritual unity that every believer in the entire world has in common. That is not based on their decision to either be unified or their um, any kind of work 
that they do to keep themselves unified. I, I believe that we, that Jesus' prayer is answered, that we are all one in him. And I think it's important that, you know, Paul's verses that we read from Ephesians 4 come right after Ephesians 1 through 3, which is showing all the things that God has done, how he has raised the dead to life, um, those that were sort of the walking dead in Ephesians 2, and how this was his plan from all eternity in Ephesians 1, um, to unite all things, the summing up of all things in Christ. And so if we have this kind of unity created by the Father, how do we explain what seems to be disunity? So you have all these groups that say they love Jesus. You might even be able to find Muslims that say they love Jesus. I don't know. I'm not sure if they would use that terminology. I know that they acknowledge Jesus as a prophet. Um, so let's kind of poke around at that a little bit. Lots of people in the world might be willing to, you know, not only say Jesus is my homeboy, <laughs> but or Jesus is my co-pilot, uh, but have like an I love Jesus, you know, um, pin on their, uh, on their bag or something like that. So what about all these groups that say I love Jesus? Well, let's start kind of slicing away um, at that a little bit and say, does this create unity uh, just to have one of those, you know, big buttons from the 80s that says I love Jesus? Um, or to share, you know, an I love Jesus uh, you know, picture on Facebook or something like that. Is that, is that it? Is that the bottom um, level thing that unifies us all? Well, first of all, we have to say no. We're unified by the Holy Spirit. So now you have all these groups that do not have the same doctrine of God. So um, someone who says, I'm a Buddhist, but I still am cool with Jesus. Or somebody who's a Muslim that says, you know, I believe in Allah, but I do believe that Jesus is a prophet of Allah. Um, those groups are not part of this unity of the Spirit because they don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, they don't confess the Trinity. So we have to have an understanding of who God is or we have an idol in front of us. Um, so I think at the basic level we could say that, that someone has to step into this idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a basic confession of Christianity that acknowledges who the Father is, who the Son is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And it also should acknowledge properly the things that they do, right? That Jesus is the one mediator, or the only way to the Father is through the Son. That the only way... Um, for us to be saved is to be born of the Holy Spirit and um, that God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we get really into the doctrine of God there and, and say, hey, you know, if you say that Jesus wasn't really crucified uh, like Muslims do or that Jesus didn't really physically rise from the dead like Jehovah's Witnesses do or um, any number of things that these splintering kind of cult groups do, Christian science, Mormonism, um, 
of the other ones. All the ones that are, there's some that are very similar to Jehovah's Witness, like Armstrongism and, um, I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. Even uh, Oneness Pentecostalism, uh, anything that doesn't confess the Trinity in a, um, in a biblical sense, okay? Um, now, I think, I think as a side note, I think there are some distinctions that are made about the doctrine of Christ that are arguably misunderstandings. Um, I wish I could remember the name, but I know that, um, what is it, Coptic Christians are Egyptian uh, area Christians, Christians in that area have a belief about Christ, I think it's called mono, probably saying it wrong, uh, monophysitism or something like that, I'm probably butchering that. Uh, it's one of these really, uh, I'm sure it's important, okay? But it's one of these really detailed kind of things about, about Christ that supposedly if you believe it, it sort of denies something. Um, I'm, not, I'm not really there yet. I don't really know enough about that yet to say, hey, you know, that's, that's full-on heresy. Although I think the church has said that in the past. Um, what... What I'm trying to get across is not that you have to line up with every creed and confession that's ever been confessed by every church ever, um, or be able to express your doctrine of the Trinity in perfect terms, but that you have a biblical understanding of who Jesus is, who the Father is, who the Holy Spirit is. So we have some kind of Trinitarian doctrinal unity there. Okay, now, the question becomes, is that alone what creates unity? And, I, and first of all, I stated that wrongly because I'm trying to make the argument here that the Holy Spirit, excuse the windshield wipers, the Holy Spirit himself is what creates unity. So just adopting a doctrine for your assembly, which I don't really want to use the word church because I'm really trying to use the word church as the universal body of all believers. So if an assembly of believers adopts a doctrine, that doesn't create unity. The unity of the Spirit is already there amongst everyone who is a born-again Christian. So everyone that um, is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved and is in the family are unified by that. Now. Let's, let's use an analogy to help out. If there was a family who got split up or became fractured in some sense, and one member of the family doesn't talk to the other members of the family, there is still a unity that there's nothing that that family member can do to break that unity. It's a unity of, of blood. It's in their DNA, okay? This isn't a perfect analogy, but I think it, it's helpful in some sense. That there will be times when we will be disunified from each other. It should be temporary. It should be something that we repent and believe the gospel. We repent of, the, of that disunity. We repent of that thing in our heart. 
that's creating the disunity and we strive for unity just like Paul says in that verse. So I think that's part of the answer to the question, how can there be such disunity or different groups in the visible church in the world when we say that there's unity? Um, so just like a family member can be disunified for a while, um, I think believers can experience that kind of disunity as well. So does a doctrine itself create unity? No, the Holy Spirit creates unity. Now I think what we should say is that good sound doctrine is a mark of the Holy Spirit being there amongst the members of that assembly and that that is a visible sign of unity. So for instance, when we have believers coming together and agreeing, yes, Jesus died and rose again physically from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God. When you have people joining in and affirming that, that is a sign of the unity that is already there by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of those believers, affirming sound doctrine through the Word of God. And what you're having there is the effect of the unity of the Spirit in doctrinal harmony, if that makes sense. So you could say if there are churches who are um, as many liberal churches do, and I don't, I'm not using liberal in the political sense, I'm using liberal in the kind of the old school, early um, 20th century sense, uh, liberal theology, which kind of says it doesn't really matter if Jesus physically rose from the dead, or the Bible's not necessarily the words of God, or um, as Rob Bell sort of says, who really cares whether Jesus was born of a virgin or not? Does that matter? Um, when you see those things unraveling, in my opinion, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is not there. What does the Holy Spirit do according to Jesus? He takes what is of Jesus and he bears it out. He points to Jesus. He shows us who Jesus is. That's his job. So. It cannot be that the Holy Spirit is working somewhere and we're getting degradations of Christ. That just doesn't coexist. It must not be the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't lift up Jesus above all else, it's not the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what else may be happening. You could have a... Um, a church that is rejecting sound doctrine, um, affirming crazy things, affirming homosexual marriage, stuff like that. And those people on the outside might look as happy and unified as, you know, as some other group of people in the world that looks unified, you know? Like um, a group of people meditating together, you know, in Tibet or something. I don't know. It, there is visible unity that can happen within the world. Just because you have a church where it seems like everyone is nice, but if there is not doctrinal soundness there, that is a false unity. It's not a unity that's created by the Holy Spirit. The 
unity that's created by the Holy Spirit is going to be doctrinally sound. Now, I think we have to be careful where we start drawing lines. You know, are we going to say, everyone that doesn't agree with my view of when Jesus is coming back or how that's going to play out, we're going to say that those people don't have the Holy Spirit because they don't have my view of when Jesus is coming back and how that's going to play out. Um, that, in my opinion, is going way too far. In fact, you know, I'm, I sort of consider myself a Calvinist, right? I don't necessarily like the term, um, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. Does that mean that I think that everyone else that's not a Calvinist is not, I don't have unity with those people? Absolutely not. I don't think that at all. In fact, um, I consider myself also a, uh, a believer's baptism kind of person. Like I think you should, you should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then be baptized, not baptized as an infant. But does that mean that I think I don't have unity with my Presbyterian, for instance, brothers and sisters? No. I think I have, I can have great unity. In fact, we went to a Presbyterian church for a while. So I don't look at those things uh, as, as the marks of doctrinal soundness. I think the doctrinal soundness is mainly in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what flows from that. And what flows from that is a, a sound doctrine of God, a sound uh, practice of worship, and a very clear gospel by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, so, doctrinal unity, this is my whole point here, doctrinal unity is a sign of unity that already exists in the worldwide church of believers. Doesn't matter what church they are currently in, they will tend towards doctrinal unity. So there might be a person going to a, um, I don't know, maybe a liberal Presbyterian church that has gone off the rails or something like that uh, with what they believe and what they affirm. There might be a person that is perhaps going to one of those churches right now, but in their heart, they believe the right things, okay? That person is unified doctrinally by the Holy Spirit, bearing out the truth in their hearts, that person's unified, more unified with people that are in other churches that believe the gospel than they are with people in the church, in their church who might be rejecting the gospel in some sense, if that makes sense. That doctrinal unity is a, a thing created by the Holy Spirit worldwide in the hearts of believers. And I think that believers, over the course of their life, will tend towards sounder, more sound doctrine as their life goes on. So I think it's always a bad sign if you see someone tending the other way. You know, um, if you see someone, um, I don't know, uh, developing this this strange theology as the as the course of their life goes on, um, affirming more strange things um, you know I've I've seen people um, I, don't, I don't I don't really want to throw out examples because I, I really don't like when people do that uh, when when pastors or whatever throw out examples and you think hey I might know who that person is I don't think that's a good thing to do so I don't want to do that 
Um, but let's say that there's just this person who used to believe the Bible was the word of God and now their arguments and their ideas tend to be more, uh, there's truth in the Bible, but it's not 100% true. And, you know, they start rejecting things that every Christian believes. You know, that's a bad sign. You wouldn't want to see that over the course of a person's life. You'd want to see them tending towards um, doctrinal soundness. Okay, so let's say that we've got the, doctr um, the doctrinal unity thing going on. And which, this seems to be Paul's method when he writes a letter like Ephesians. He starts with doctrine. He lays out all this doctrine of the gospel and God and the Trinity in Ephesians 1 through 3. And even in the, the practice of worship, the affirmation of different kinds of believers, Jews and Gentiles, worshiping together. And then he says, maintain the unity of the Spirit. So he tells you what has actually created the unity, and he says that we should strive to maintain it in the bond of peace. So we didn't create it, but we strive to maintain it with love and peace and gentleness and all the fruit of the Spirit. It's sort of like planting a garden, like God has planted this garden and it's growing fruit and we are sort of maintaining it, you know? We're sort of, you know, taking taking the fruit off the tree and giving it to one another. Um, but God, you know, is still the one that's doing all the work. He's the one doing the pruning. He's the one clipping. He's the one, um, you know, putting us in Christ, who is the vine, we are the branches. So uh, let's say we've got this doctrinal unity. Now, what, what should we see? Should we see just a bunch of people that come together on Sunday morning and say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, or whatever your creed is. If, they, if these people come together in a, and affirm sound doctrine, um, and by the way, I love the creed. I love the doxology, so I'm not, I'm not dissing that at all. But I'm just saying, if, if um, you know, this, this church comes together and they're, re, you know, they're teaching their children the Westminster Confession or whatever creed that you're into, um, does that doctrinal unity, is that the be-all, end-all of Christian unity? And I think we could say no, right? That we must have love for one another. We must be eager to maintain peace with one another and, um, and strive to do that. And that's often where I fail personally. Like, I tend to be too concerned one way. I think we're all predisposed to be concerned with one thing or another. Uh, whether we're kind of into the doctrine or whether we're just almost don't really pay attention to the doctrine too much. But Paul is a both-and person, and I think um, that's a challenge for me, and I think it's a challenge for all of us to strive to be people that would say, Ephesians 1 through 3 is great. Ephesians 4 through 6 is great. We need them both, you know? We don't, we don't, are we going to separate what God has joined together? God has joined together uh, the truth and the life that comes from the truth, right? So, um, 
we can't separate these things, you know? It'd be like wiring your house all perfectly for electricity and then having no power um, or having no light switches to use the power. Um, we have to have sound doctrine and love. So if we have a body of believers that is not experiencing love for one another, is not sacrificially trying to be in one another's lives, helping one another, I can't tell you how much help we've got from the universal body of believers um, this last difficult health year that we've had with my wife's health. People have done all kinds of things for us um, from different churches. Um, we have a pastor in Colorado Springs that checks in with us and my wife is friends with his wife and we never even went to their church. Um, we were just trying to survive and they helped us tremendously. Um, and it wasn't really even a money kind of thing. Um, it was it was all kinds of things. Um, it was a complete, we love you. Yes, you can do this if this helps. Um, we want to meet you at the park. You know, we want to... Um, we want our kids to play together. This kind of like complete like love of Christ, you know, like here's a gift card, buy yourself some gas. Um, please come to our daughter's birthday party so our, our girls can be friends. I mean, this kind of stuff, this is the unity of the spirit. And would I agree with, um, with every person 100% in every single doctrine? No. But I think that we would have sound doctrine and that we would have sound love for one another. We'd have both. And so um, here's the encouragement today. Try to cultivate this in your one-on-one -on -one relationships with people. So instead of just tending towards one or the other, like if you're a guy and you're really into theology these days, you know, it's just kind of, kind of a trend, right? Um, if, if you have guys you get together for, for Bible study, um, but, but you don't help each other, you know, when somebody's car breaks down, um, which I've totally played that card, man. Uh, one of my pastors has totally helped me out with my car. Um, so if, if that thing, if those kind of things are not happening, you're just there talking about the Bible and about theology, but you're not hanging out with one another, um, at praying for one another, asking how you can help one another, there's a, there's a missing piece of your unity, right? And I would say that the Holy Spirit is trying to create that and that you, as I'm telling myself the same way, should repent and believe gospel, right? Turn from your sin. A Christian is someone who keeps turning from their sin and let the Holy Spirit let him do his thing, right? So that you have the unity which is shown through, which is shows through to the world, not only in sound doctrine, but in love for one another. Um, so cultivate that in your one-on-one -on -one relationships with people, which I think it's hardest amongst family because just because we've known them longer, we have these trends, um, these sort of like 
we just operate a certain way. If we always talk about the weather with certain people, that's all we talk about. Or if we always hang out and play basketball with certain people, that's just what we do. It might be weird if you have a friend that you play basketball with to say, let's talk about Jesus for a while, you know? Um, what do you think about this? You know, how, how has the gospel impacted your life? Or if you have a friend that you just do Bible study with and you don't hang out and cook a meal with them or something like that, that we're missing out on some of that unity. So, um, so yeah, I would encourage you to dig into Ephesians and, and look at the contrast between Ephesians 1 through 3 and Ephesians 4 through 6. And, and take a look at how the Holy Spirit creates both doctrinal unity and uh, unity of love amongst believers. All right, so um, that kind of feels like the end of the episode, <laughs> but I'm going to keep going because I don't often like to pick up my phone while I'm driving. Um, so let's kind of think through this together. Now, We've talked positively through most of this. Like, what if we have positive, sound doctrine, and and what if we have positive love for one another? Then that's unity. So now, what if we don't have those things? And I think this is, the full discussion of this will probably have to be for another episode. But here's some, kind of some where we're going on this. And um, I'll just be really upfront and open about some things that I think um, need to be discussed amongst Christians. Um, so first of all, what do we do with groups that have a real distinct difference um, in what they believe? Um, let's say, for example, um, may have heard the term prosperity theology. Um, this whole idea that we are kind of meant to live our best life now. I'm getting that from Joel Osteen. Um, lots of TV kind of preachers have this idea and promote this idea. Um, first off, before I forget, I want to encourage you to watch the film American Gospel. And there's a one-hour version of it on YouTube, which is great. Um, but if you're willing to rent it or uh, find it somewhere online, um, I'd encourage you to rent it. It's great, and you can support what they're doing. But the whole uh, two-and-a-half-hour, it might even be like two hours and 40-minute version of the film is just spectacular. Um, so let's, let's kind of look at that question. Um, just kind of dip our toe in it and we'll probably get into it more in a different episode but what if you have Christians who um, I mean I have friends let's just say it you know I have friends that love Joel Osteen um, and I don't <laughs> I don't love what Joel Osteen teaches um, I I would go so far as to say I don't really know if Joel Osteen knows Jesus and some of you might want to turn me off right there. Um, click, click pause, you know, swipe away the podcast. But before you do that, let's kind of look at, look at that uh, because it plays into what we were just discussing. If Joel Osteen is who the Holy Spirit wants leading thousands of people 
at Lakewood Church, then let's ask let's ask a couple questions. Why does Joel Osteen not glorify Jesus in his sermons and his books? Because Joel Osteen does not glorify Jesus in his sermons and his books. And I'll just be very blunt in saying that. Um, I have many, many times turned on the Joel Osteen sermon, and what do I hear? You. You. There's a champion in you. And the champion in you is not Jesus. It's you. You're the champion in you. Discover the champion in you. Is this the gospel? <laughs> the gospel is the opposite of that. It's discover the champion who saved you because you are weak, powerless, sinful, um, not your own savior. Um, the gospel is not discover the champion in you. The gospel is not live your best life now in a physical sense. The gospel is not, you know, I prayed for a swimming pool, now I got a swimming pool. This is real, I'm not making this up. I had somebody from Lakewood tell me, tell me these things. Um, which, let me just say, I don't question that person's love for Jesus at all. This is one of the most loving people I knew who went to Lakewood and, you know, I didn't really care about doctrine back then, so it wasn't one of those things. He was just sharing with me some things. And so, anyway, what, what creates unity there if you've got a pastor who is not preaching the gospel, um, not teaching people about God, um, teaching people to put their faith in themselves? What you have, in my opinion, to Lakewood is probably a lot of Christians, a lot of real Christians who really love Jesus and are in a part of their journey where they're confused and that they're being misled by a wolf, uh, somebody who doesn't care for the sheep or somebody who thinks they care for the sheep but really doesn't know Jesus. So they don't really know how to care for the sheep. Um, so, does Joel Osteen love Jesus? I don't know. I can't see his heart. But what I'm saying is that my opinion is that his preaching is so off, so out of whack, so not the gospel, that I find it extraordinarily unlikely that the Holy Spirit has put Joel Osteen where he's at in order to tell people the truth of the gospel. And that's just obvious because he's not doing it. And so how can somebody get up and say things that aren't true when they have that kind of responsibility on them? It makes me think that person doesn't know Jesus because they don't glorify him. They don't have that fruit of doctrinal soundness. So you have uh, a place, you know, that is known as being this loving place, but you can't have one without the other. You can't have true love of the Holy Spirit. There's probably so much good Christian love going on there just because there's Christians there, but you have a bad guy at the top. And that, and what, what am I saying? I'm affirming that, there, that I have spiritual with lots of people who go to Lakewood or whatever. 
right? But that there's a real serious danger there that many people are being led astray and not coming into the love of Christ because the gospel is not being preached. So the people who are there probably heard the gospel somewhere else. Or maybe they hear it in their Sunday school class. Maybe there's a good Sunday school teacher or whatever they do at Lakewood. Maybe there's something good going on there. But what would I say, based on what I said earlier, what would we say that the Holy Spirit would do? That the Holy Spirit would eventually call people out of there. And that's what's mind-blowing is that the friends that I have who love Lakewood or love Joel Osteen, I want you to hear this right now, brother, sister, man, I'm thinking of somebody who I've known my whole life, literally, my entire life, um, who I'm not related to. Brother, leave that church. If you're listening to this right now, get out of that church. Um, take as many people with you as you can and find some place where the man who stands up every Sunday and talks, talks about Jesus and doesn't cherry pick Bible verses and create this false gospel of self-help. And you know how we know that? Because the world loves Joel Osteen. Oprah loves Joel Osteen. That's a sign that something's wrong. If Oprah likes you, something something's happening bad there because that dear lady does not know the gospel, does not preach the gospel, is way off. Um, you can tell by the conversations that she has. I've listened to them. This is not me guessing or taking somebody else's word for it. Um, there, She does not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Um, not at all. Um, so, real problem when there's not when there's like this love but not this doctrinal unity um, that should be created by the Holy Spirit. Um, there's many other examples of this and since I've got about five more minutes here I'll just go ahead and um, mention one of the other noteworthy ones. What do we do and we'll probably flesh this out in another episode I think um, this is one of the things that I like to talk about and hate it when I talk about it and I'm very sorry I can't help it <laughs> um, it's I, it's so important and people died over this you know I think that's what we don't understand like that there was a time when um, the Roman Catholic Church would kill people for preaching the gospel um, of grace alone faith alone trying to get Bibles into people's hands that people were killed for that as heretics. What is that? Um, are we aware of that? Are we up on our history? Like, do we know that this stuff happened? Um, so, here's here's the question. You know, what do we what do we do with um, with Catholicism? Um, this has got to be an entire episode and I think I'll have to have like quotes and stuff like that because I think there's an instant knee-jerk reaction because many of us have friends and family who are Roman Catholic and we know that there's Roman Catholics who love Jesus just like I said you know I affirm that there's um, people in Joel Osteen's church who um, love Jesus um, 
But listen, let me ask you, just let's say you consider yourself Roman Catholic or you have strong sympathies for Roman Catholics. Here's some things to think about and some things that I'll definitely try to cover in the next episode. What do you do with when the Bible says that there's one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ? What do you do when you realize that the Catholic Church says that Mary is the mediator? I believe that they say she's a mediator of all graces, but they at least say that she's a mediatrix, a female mediator. Um, what do you do with that? I don't, it boggles my mind um, that she is a co-mediator, that she's also called a co-redemptrix, that redemption in some sense comes through Mary and Jesus. Um, I'm subscribing right now to a Catholic website by, um, I think it's Franciscan, some Franciscan monks or some Franciscan group um, that was originally started by St. Francis of Assisi. And they're doing this Marian devotion that um, is like every day they send you an email um, and you're supposed to uh, read this thing about Mary and then pray this prayer to Mary. And I've had a lot of Catholics uh, tell me, hey, we don't really pray to Mary. Uh, what we do is we ask Mary and the saints to pray for us. And so um, then the whole dichotomy there is just that I don't believe that the Bible teaches that we should talk to dead people. Um, and so that becomes the, the whole argument. But... I want to encourage you to actually look at some of these prayers and things that are said about Mary. Um, titles that she's given, like the glory of Israel, the queen of heaven. I believe it's in Jeremiah. I'll get the quote right next time um, exactly, but you can look it up and see what God says about the queen of heaven. Um, I believe it's in Jeremiah. It talks about that they're the, the Israelites are making cakes to the queen of heaven. What do we do with this stuff? I have um, family members, and um, when I was little, we went to a family reunion where uh, they do like a St. Joseph's altar. Let's just look at that statement right there. St. Joseph's altar. So we're making an altar to St. Joseph, or in honor of St. Joseph. And we're putting on this altar offerings of food. Now, I know we can do some real, you know, backbending theology and say, well, what we're doing is we're really, it's a feast, you know, we're making a feast and, you know, we're giving this food to people who don't have food or, or what have you. But I'd, I'd encourage you to look into some of the history of these things. Um, is it not true that some of these feast days are in um, honor of saints supposedly doing miracles in some, in some way for some people? And so then there's becomes a feast day in the saints' honor for this miracle that the saint did. Um, I just don't know. I mean, is it is it this thing where... Um, 
a Catholic is fully up on their theology and knows what they're saying when they say, Hail Mary, full of grace. Um, I know that that phrase is in the Bible, but is that what it means when a Catholic is confessing that, given all the doctrines of Mary that are in the Catechism of the Catholic Church and in the traditions that the Catholic Church um, promotes in its feast days and everything like that. So what do we do with that? We have a church that confesses the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet says, yeah, we believe Jesus is Jesus, but he's not the only redeemer. Mary is a redeemer. He's not the only mediator. Mary is a mediator. And I don't, I'm not claiming to fully know the answer to this. And I'm not saying this to condemn anyone, but I'm wondering, like, are we fooling ourselves in saying that we, in saying, I believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I also believe there's a queen in heaven. Um, I believe the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I also believe that there's a co-redeemer with Jesus. Um, I believe there in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I also believe that uh, the, the unity is created by the baptism and the sacraments and that you know you have to be in the church to be in the church um, because as as um, I might look like I'm being prejudiced by saying this right like I'm the one um, who is creating disunity um, but I would just encourage you to go back and look at some of the things that Catholic councils have said that according to the Council of Trent, there's not really any other Christians except Christians that are in the Catholic Church. And that they may have tried to change that recently um, in the past hundred years or so. Um, but what are they really what are they really saying? Is there really a a unified Catholic belief even now is there really a unified belief amongst Catholics about whether you have to be in the Catholic Church to be saved um, I don't know the answer to this question I mean you tell me if you're a Catholic write me you know at at pigeonpost2019 at gmail.com because maybe you should be concerned about me right like I'm a Protestant I believe that we're saved by faith alone through grace alone. I don't go to confession. I don't say Hail Marys. I don't um, believe that the sacrament becomes the, the body and blood of Christ. I don't worship the wafer when it's raised. Am I? And I think those things are bad. Am I going to go to purgatory? Am I going to go to hell? Like, what's going to happen to me? Because last thing I'll say is I'm pulling into the driveway here is I believe that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you are in Christ, part of the body, that you'll go directly to heaven when you die. Catholicism, as I understand it, believes that very few people get to go directly to be with Jesus when they die. I often feel like I'm the bad guy when I say things against Catholicism. 
But I just want to ask you, like, which one of those beliefs sounds right to you? And which one sounds like the love of God to you? Now, that's not always where we should go. I think we should go to Scripture, and I will go to Scripture directly for this question. But just on the surface, just to kind of poke around at this a little bit, does it sound right to say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you might be saved if you do enough stuff this way? And even then, you'll probably still go to purgatory. You won't go directly to be with Jesus when you die. And you kind of have to go through this other mediator over here. Dear Christian, does that, in your heart, does that sound right? Or does it sound right to say, Jesus is the only way. And if you put your trust in him, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, you'll be born again into God's family, and you will go directly to be with Jesus when you die. All of your sins, past, present, future, will be forgiven. You see, I don't want to condemn Catholics. I want Catholics, I want people that um, go to churches that don't teach the gospel, I want all of these people to do something very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And know that you will go to be with Jesus immediately when you die. Because that is an integral part of the gospel. Are your sins forgiven? Were they really paid for on the cross? Or are you going to have to achieve that yourself? Sorry we ran a little long on this one. I was driving in the rain. It was ugly weather. And um, this is way longer than I normally go. But um, I encourage you to shoot me an email, pigeonpost2019 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and um, talk to you next time.